right, good morning, everybody. We'll run through what's happening here really quick before we get started in Psalm 23 and 24. Sunrise service next week, uh, 7 a.m., and then we'll also have our regular services like we always do at 9 and 11. So outside, uh, 7 a.m., uh, worship service, and uh, should be a nice time out there, pretty. Worship night, April 29th uh, at 7 p.m., that's the end of the month here coming up. Uh, there's also then after that, uh, did we get the men's slide up there or no? Oh, yeah. It, we're not, well, the Journeyman uh, Men's Conference, Regional Men's Conference is the same night and day that we do the worship conference or worship night that we're doing here. 29th of April, we don't normally go down because it's just a worship night down there. Nothing wrong with that, and you're welcome to go do it, but we usually just go down on Saturday the 30th for the whole day. Um, so that's what I'm planning on doing, but you're welcome to go ahead and go down for the whole thing if you want to, um, but then you'll miss our worship night here, which we didn't know. Um, they got this out a little late for us, and we didn't mean to overschedule, but we did. So um, I'm going to be here, um, but you're welcome to go on down for both dates if you'd like to. Garage sale coming up. Um, all proceeds are going to hear my ministries. Uh, and and uh, that's it. All right, great. <laughs> Aaron's like, come on, we got communion. <laughs> Two chapters in communion. Let's go. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the Psalms that we get to go over today. What a, I, I'm always amazed. I shouldn't be, but I'm always amazed, Lord, how you time everything. Um, even for our seasons, things that we've come up with like Easter and Palm Sunday and things like that that aren't, aren't in your word necessarily, but they're things that um, we've scheduled and then we come across it in your word the very day we need to. And so um, we thank you for that. We pray your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide this morning and that we'd understand everything you have for us in your word, that we'd be comforted today in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 is the shepherd's psalm. You've probably heard it at many funerals. I don't know why we only use it there. <laughs> uh, we don't, I guess. But um, it's most known for that because it's a dark time usually. It's a, it's a sad time, a time of mourning. And so you talk about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And so it's to give us some hope that even though it's a dark time for us, God is with us. Jesus is with us. But the whole psalm is a beautiful, uh, I guess, epiphany for David being a shepherd, um, sees his God just like that. And, and I'm sure he's read the prophets and I'm sure he understands that God likens himself to a shepherd. But David knows firsthand what that's like to be responsible for these helpless, harmless creatures that are out wandering the land in the middle of, well, nowhere and in open air where anything can happen to them. And it's his responsibility to make sure that they're okay. And so David writes this psalm as he sees the connection, um, and it's very rich and deep, and, and we'll go as deep as we can, but um, it also just speaks for itself. So verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David understands that a shepherd's job is not only protection and safety, but also for the well-being and the care of them. I have to lead them into green pastures. You can't take them to deserts. You know, uh, uh, different seasons require moving of the herd to different areas and different locations so they have enough food to eat. And he knows it's the shepherd's responsibility to do that. And so he does. He sees how God uh, causes him to lie down in green pastures. Um, when... Uh, 
when our cows are relaxed, they, they lie down, you know, and, and when storms come. But for the most part, when they're relaxed, they, they're resting, you know, and sheep are the same way. When they're at peace, when they don't feel threatened, they can relax, they can sit, they can, they can recline and not feel like they need to be on guard and ready to move. And of course, that's a real feather in the cap of the shepherd that can cause his flock to rest. I think that's why God so desperately wants us to rest. He wants us to know. I mean, that's, that's a common theme throughout scripture is rest. I want you to rest. I want you to take some rest. And what he's trying to get at is we may be nervous Nellies. We may be on our feet. We may be running around the pasture down here, but he's saying it's unnecessary. I've given you rest. You can panic. You can run around and look around and wonder and all these things, but I've given you a great place to rest, and that's in my son Jesus. He's the green pasture. You can rest there. You don't have to worry about things. He's constantly trying to give us that reassurance of salvation, that reassurance of adoption into his family. That's been coming up in my life several times. Just just this last week, three different times adoptions come up, and it's not because Jenny and I are going to adopt or not. Um, We got six kids. We're done. Um, (laughs) But it's been coming up in the sense that he's trying to show that to me, um, the relationship that I have with him. And so he's done it through a song that I listened to, and then he also uh, brought it up in in a Little House in the Prairie episode of all things, and then also in Scripture where I was reading. And I'm noticing all all these attributes about our Father and what he's done for us through adoption, being adopted into his family. Well, that being the case, that's what the shepherd does. The shepherd takes this flock on as his responsibility, and it's my job to make sure they lie down, have good food. I take them to lie down beside still waters. Don't take them to the rapids. You know, uh, um, it, every time the, the shepherd takes the nation of Israel to a body of water, it, it may look raging, it may look dangerous and scary, but he just divides it. He just separates it so they can walk across on dry land. Makes no difference what the condition of the water is. Where they're going to be, it's going to be dry. It's going to be smooth sailing. Um, Even in the boat, he does that several times. Well, two times for sure. It's documented several places, but two times for sure. They're on the raging, you know, waters and all that. But he says, no, peace. And he just makes it still when when he's in their presence. And so he does that. And David notices that. He says, my God has brought me to these places and I appreciate that. And I give him, I give him credit and glory for these things. He restores my soul. It's a short one, a little short, you know, four words, but how important that is and how that, what that means to David to restore. In other words, your soul's not in a great place. You know, David writes like, Oh soul, why are you so disquieted within me? You know, it's bothersome when you feel unsettled inside and you don't know why. I don't know if anybody's experienced that before. I've, I've been unsettled and I know why, but I've also been unsettled and I'm not sure why. I just don't feel calm or at peace. There's something going on. And, uh, and so I pray and I ask God, what is it? What is happening? How do I need to pray? Um, is this something I've done in the past that I've forgotten? Did I wrong somebody by mistake, you know, um, or on purpose and just ignored it and didn't repent of it or something? But what is it? Why am I disquieted? And God is faithful to make sure I understand what's going on. Um, whether it's actual or whether it's, no, you're just worried. You don't need to be. He restores my soul. Just by his presence and by his word, he can restore my soul and bring it back to that place of calm. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He shows me 
what the righteous way is and the way I should walk in. And it's up to me whether I take that path or not, but he leads me to the paths of righteousness. He's never unfaithful to do that. He never says, well, I don't know, figure it out. You know, he's always faithful to say, if you really want to know, and I'll say it maybe a little bit slower, maybe pause for effect. If you really want to know the way that God wants you to go, and you're going to be submitted to his path that he lays out for you after you ask, he'll definitely show you. He will. He will. If you ask and hope it lines up with what you want to do, and in your heart, if it doesn't line up with what you want to do, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. I think that's what James gets at. Let, let, that, not, let that man who's double-minded not think that he's going to receive any kind of wisdom from God. If you truly want your path, your life, to follow God's path for you, and you ask him, he will definitely show you, always, always, where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. He does that. In John chapter 10, God describes himself, um, Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Jesus says, I'm not like that. Um, the nation of Israel is having bad experience with the religious rulers of the day. Um, and they've never felt comfortable around the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They've never felt at home in God's temple. In fact, they're so far gone at this point that that's when Jesus flips the tables, you know, in the court of the Gentiles, where it's supposed to be a court of prayer, a place of prayer. Um, They're so far gone that when the people show up, they already know, they anticipate that their sacrifice they're bringing isn't going to be accepted and that they're going to have to change it out for one of their uh, pre-approved sheep, you know. And so the relationship is iffy at best between the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these rulers who are supposed to be representing a good God, um, but aren't doing it. They're doing it for, for greed and for gain. They're hirelings. They appreciate the money. They appreciate the support, the things that they get from being in the ministry, but they definitely don't want to do the ministry portion of it. Um, that's too scary. And if there's any danger for their life, then they flee. They run from it. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. I, I see the wolf coming and I, I meet it head on. And David knows that. David's been very good at that, you know, um, and describes some of the victories he's had out in the field as well as victories as a king. Um, but he's, he's not like that and neither is Jesus. And so Jesus, the Lord, likens himself. I put myself in harm's way for your sake. I do that. I watch, I watch for you. I put myself in between them and you. Uh, they've got to get through me to get to you. And so Jesus tries to encourage the people. I've come as a different ruler, as a different leader. Maybe someone you're not used to, but you need to get used to it because that's who I am. Second Chronicles eighteen sixteen. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. God watches that and sees that, and he's, he sees they're scattered, and he wants to do something about it, like a shepherd. Um, I, I, I uh, am learning, you know, farm life kind of thing. I'm figuring things out slowly but surely. Um, there's a lot to learn, but um, 
cows are pretty much okay by themselves as long as there's a bunch of them that don't have to worry about coyotes or anything like that. But once in a while, and this isn't necessarily shepherding or herding, I guess it is in a little bit, but we've got these ducks that just, it, for some reason, some nights they just do not want to come in. They don't want to get off the pond. They don't want to come in, you know, to the shelter and they, they want to stay out. And it's nerve wracking because I know, I mean, every night we hear at least maybe at least three, if not five packs of these coyotes all around us, all around us. And some of them are in our 80 acres or right there in the land. I'm like, I can, you could see them if I had a flashlight strong enough. I'm like, those ducks are not going to make it. They're just not. Howard, I'm not supposed to name your animals, Howard, he's the male duck. He's very protective of, of Sally, the female duck. And Howard just goes at my feet with his vicious, dull, boring bill, you know, just this constant all over me. I'm just like, oh, just quit. I'm thinking of that versus a coyote. This is not going to go well for you, Howard. You know, I know you feel that and that instinct, but it's not going to last long. And so there's this understanding that a shepherd has as he looks at his sheep and and a dumb new farmer who looks at his ducks I need to step in and do something if they're out there on their own out in the wilderness because they cannot survive. Sheep scattered on the mountaintops and over all the, all the land, they're, they're just going to get picked off. They just are. There is, no, there is no wondering about it. It may not be tonight or tomorrow night, but eventually they're all going to go. They're all going to get eaten. None of them are going to come back saying, I, you know, I, I won. They lose every time. And so God looks at us and calls us sheep, not because we're dumb and we're, we're like lemmings. I think that's the misunderstanding when we call each other sheep or God's sheep. And of course, the world mocks and when you're a bunch of lemmings, you all jump off a cliff together kind of thing and you do whatever you're told. No, it's just that we're innocent and very vulnerable to this world and to our enemy. And God knows that. And as a shepherd, feels the need to be in between. And so... He likens himself to that. In Jeremiah 3.15, because of that, because he sees that, um, and this is before Christ came, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 23.4, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Ezekiel 34.11-12, For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. When it says that he left the 99 to go get the one, he's talking about himself. I hope we all understand that. He can do that. Uh, He can keep the 99 protected and safe and then go out and find the one uh, that's found himself in danger. And so several places. And David knows that. He knows that God likens himself to a shepherd and and appreciates that heart that he has for his people. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, There are dangerous places in this world. Not everything's green pastures and still waters. That's where he's leading me to. But sometimes to get to those places, you go through some pretty rough moments and seasons in your life. Um, David's just saying he's with me. Um, The the point is he doesn't doesn't cause me to live there, but he does walk me through it. Uh, But I've got an escort. 
I've got protection. He's my forward guard, my rear guard. He says his rod and staff, they comfort me. Those are two different utensils. Um, sometimes the, the, the shepherd has one, and one end is for the wolves, and the other end has a crook on it to get the sheep out of crevices and tough spots they find themselves in, you know. Um, but either way, David says, this, this instrument that you have in your hands, it comforts me. I know you're there for my protection. I know you're there to help me get out of these difficult situations I put myself in. Um, I'm very encouraged by that, he says. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, (laughs) I remember a a friend of mine getting that word from the Lord, that verse (laughs) 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He goes, well, thanks a lot. (laughs) You know, I'd prefer a table where my enemies aren't around. That's that's what we want. God, just kill all my enemies so I can just sit down in the green pastures. But sometimes God will prepare a table for us to eat at, to relax in the presence of our enemies. And sometimes that's just to irk them, (laughs) to bug them um, so that they can know that they can't touch us. I think that was the problem with Job. Uh, It was frustrating for Satan. I can't get at him. Um, Before God removed that hedge of protection and allowed Satan to have access to Job, Job had a relationship with God and had a table prepared for himself in the presence of his enemies. They were, he was all around. Um, And that's what David understands. He says, I don't necessarily live a life where there aren't any enemies around, that I don't see any, that they're not in existence, but I do know that I can live my life amongst them and he can still protect me um, despite them and, and what their intentions are. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. The idea is it's, there's mercy. There's a, that oil always represents the Holy Spirit in the Bible. If you, if you didn't know, that's one of those uh, types. And, um, that oil is the oil of gladness. That oil is what you would do for anointing someone to be healed. Um, and oil is their version of a shower, a cleansing thing that would take place to show that they have bright, clear complexion. Their skin has a, a nice glossy glow. I guess we'd wash our hair in mayonnaise today or something. Remember, ladies used to do that. Did any of you ever wash your hair with mayonnaise? Oh my goodness, we have one in the back. Well, there's oil in that, and it just leaves a sheen kind of thing. I don't know how you get that cleaned out, but I guess it comes out. You got to use shampoo afterwards. Okay. We've, we upgraded to VO5 uh, hot oil treatment. Is that right? <laughs> okay. Well, that's the idea behind it. My God gives me, anoints my head with oil, pours it running down, um, and, I, and my cup runs over. It's like more than I can bear or hold or, or could use. It, my cup runs over. This is so much. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David looks forward to that, understands that, talks about it like it's just a, a, for, it's a foregone conclusion. You know, um, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That dwell is a choice. I choose to make my home there, you know, Uh, We have to choose that. All of this is a choice. Is God my shepherd? Do I let him lead me beside the still waters and lie down in green pastures? As he he provides a path for me, do I take it? You know, these are all ifs. A a lot of us sheep, a lot of we sheep, (laughs) uh, don't go where the shepherd wants us to go. We wander off into places we shouldn't wander off to. And 
we're his and he'll go get us. And we're thankful for that. But our goal as sheep is to stay as close to the shepherd as possible and to not wander off and to not get ourselves into trouble so that he has to get out his, you know, the, the, the hook end of the, the, you know, the, the staff to get us out of problems and out of difficult situations. If we listen to him, if we listen to his voice, if you can hear his voice, then you're in a good distance. You're in a good range is, is the idea. You're in a good uh, diameter of the Lord, you know, um, if you're within the earshot. So Psalm 22. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, um, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those of, uh, who seek him, who seek your face. And then there's a pause to think about that. All, all of the earth is his. Um, God is going to redeem all of it. All of it is going to get redeemed. Um, there's, there's anything that isn't his. And that's all, God, that's all David is saying. We understand that the God of this age or the God of this world right now is Satan. We understand he seems to have free reign. Um, and that's how we know we're not in the millennial reign of Christ is because he's got so much access to us and so much, uh, there's so much difficulty, pain, and sorrow. But David is reminding us that this is, this is temporary and that God is, is the God of all of these places, um, of all these uh, locations. And so he asks the question in verse three, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? He wants us to ascend. He wants us to stand. Who can do that? It's those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who hasn't lifted up his soul to an idol or sworn deceitfully. There's something about a guilty conscience that keeps us oftentimes from having the, the beautiful worship we want or we're used to. Um, it doesn't mean that we're not forgiven for our sins, and it doesn't mean we're condemned either. But that guilt and shame that comes along with sin and rebellion against God, it does prevent I, I don't raise my hands as freely. I don't feel like I can ascend the hill with boldness. Although he tells me I can, it keeps me from that. And so he, th- David is simply saying, you want to get to that place where it's like an everyday thing, where it's a commonplace, where it's, you don't have to think twice about it. You know, suppose you have an argument with your spouse and uh, you haven't dealt with it. You know, it's gone maybe, you know, you never let your son go down on your anger, and, and then you get married and realize that's a very difficult verse to, to follow, you know, because you're not ready to talk about it, especially if it's too soon. You want to, we got to let things mellow a little bit and then come back to the situation. Well, you don't run right up to your spouse when you haven't dealt with that situation, wrap your arms around them and say, good morning, honey, how are you? You know, you got to talk about things first before you can get back to that place where it's just that free exchange of love, adoration, affection. Um, you're still married. You still love each other. Um, nothing's changed in that area, but there's some things that have to be dealt with before you can get to that place where it's just you know, staring into one another's eyes, you know, madly in love with one another. That's, that's all David is saying. You come up to that hill, you come up to that place, and who can do this with the clean hands and a clean and a pure heart? Get there, you know, get to that place. Um, a couple 
couple scriptures. I'll do 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through, through 10. Um, Paul, writing to this young pastor, Timothy, says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now, he's not talking about attire. He's talking about the heart. I want men to lift up holy hands without wrath, and I want women to have professing godliness with good works. That's what I need. That's what I'd like to see my, my girls and my boys coming to me with. Um, so it's a common theme. Come to God with clean hands and a pure heart. Um, it's very important. Um, and, and you can. And of course, the forgiveness you know in Hebrews when he says that we can, we can boldly come to that throne of grace and mercy in time of need. Um, and so it's not like you have to get washed up and cleaned up before you can talk to the Lord. You just have to deal with things before you can start having that relationship that you had with him before, before you, um, for example, um, if you come to the altar with your sacrifice, you remember that you've wronged someone in the past, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go make it right with that person, then come back to me. There's some maintenance that needs to take place. You know, I need to wash your feet. Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. He says, then wash all of me. He goes, I don't need to wash all of you. There's just some maintenance we need to do here. I need to wash your feet. Likewise, as we walk with the Lord, there's just times where we need to get right with God. Talk to him about the things. Confess some of the things we did and shouldn't have done or things we should have done and didn't do. Whatever they may be, you get it. That's the idea. Holy hands, clean heart. Verse 7, lift up your heads, O you gates. And this is, this is where we get into um, some interesting things here. This, this is a, David is prophesying here, so keep that in mind as we read through these last three verses. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord is strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, I don't know that David even knows what he's saying there, but you see the, you see Palm Sunday, you see the resurrection, you see the ascension, and then you see his glorious return here um, in all three of these, uh, in those three things in this, in this section here, seven through 10. Um, lift up your gates. The king is coming. You know, if you turn to John 12, that's where we normally would be on a, on a Palm Sunday. It says, in the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey, a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, that they had done these things to him. Um, that's the beginning of this. Lift up you heads, oh you gates, be lifted up, you everlasting. The king of glory shall come in, and he did. He did come in. Um, but then he was rejected. He was just rejected and despised by men. That's the next section. And they crucified him. So now where does he go as he ascends into heaven? 
to the other gates. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up you heads, your heads, O you gates. Lift up the everlasting doors. These are different than the Jerusalem doors, Jerusalem gates. And the king of glory shall come in. That's, uh, that's Revelation 9 or 7 verses 9 through 12. That's the Palm Sunday we get to celebrate in heaven. Um, not the fake one that is celebrated today. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, this is in heaven, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might uh, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the second one. Come into those everlasting gates. Oh, and then finally, um, the last one, who is the king of glory, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. In uh, Matthew uh, twenty six sixty four, Jesus said to him, It is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds in heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back for us. Behold, uh, Revelation 1, 7, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So he comes into Jerusalem. That's the first one. Uh, he comes into heaven. That's the second one. Then he comes and returns for us. And that's the third one. And that's what we look forward to. That's what we're excited about. I'm, I'm so glad that he came uh, to die on the cross for us. I understand Palm Sunday. I do. I understand um, why they did it and all. And that there was prophecy fulfilled. Um, but he was rejected. And that's what we're preparing for this week. Um, we take this time every year, this Palm Sunday uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, sunrise service, you know, he is risen. We go through this week um, to remind ourselves of his plan and what he did for us. He he had to come and offer himself up to be the spiritual leader. Um, They've rejected that and they put him on the cross. And because he died on the cross, he nailed my sins and your sins with him to the cross. And because death couldn't hold him and he rose again on the third day, that means the sacrifice was accepted, that the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world was the correct sacrifice to be offered for the eternal forgiveness of our sins. There is no way that those are ever coming back on us. Um, And so we understand that. And then uh, when he left, he says, don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's where we are now. That's what Easter Sunday is about. If he rose from the dead... And when he rose and then ascended into heaven said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I return, I'm going to take you back to that place. We can rest assured that will be fulfilled also, just like Palm Sunday, just like Easter, and just like that second coming. He's going to come back for us. And we can't wait for that. We look forward to it. Uh, We're going to have communion now. If you guys want to pass that out, that'd be great. We'll get started here. We'll talk a little bit about this. Um, this little meal that we're having here, this is a tradition that we do that Jesus gave us. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do this in remembrance of him. So that's why we do it repeatedly. You know, we do it here once a month. Other churches do it every Sunday and, and others do it at different times. It's no, there's no prescribed time uh, in God's word. What this meal is, is, this is the meal that they ate right before Jesus' death on the cross, before his crucifixion. They were celebrating the Passover meal. Um, at Easter time, 
when Jesus was coming in on the donkey, Palm Sunday, when everybody is wa- waving their palm branches, he's coming in the gate. On, on the other part, in another area, the sheep gate is allowing all the sheep to come in because it's, it's the Passover time. So everybody's coming to bring their Passover lambs. And the Passover is, is, is a time when the, the Jews would commemorate being led out of Egypt, um, that, that Moses came and took them out of Egypt. And it, the Passover lamb is, is, is reminding them of the 10th plague. Um, and so the 10th plague was this. They had told Pharaoh, let the people go. He refused 10 different times because he does go after him after the 10th time. But, and finally, after all these plagues, Pharaoh says, you know, I, I'm just not going to do it. And he says, okay, then the firstborn's going to die in Egypt. Everybody, everybody's firstborn's going to die except anybody that takes the lamb holds it for several days, uh, 14 days, I believe. And then uh, slaughters it, takes the blood and puts it on the doorposts on the outside of the doorframe, you know, all the way around top, bottom and sides. And when the angel of death comes by to fulfill this 10th plague, um, if he sees this blood of this lamb on the outside of the doorframe, then he's going to go past there. And nobody inside dies. If you don't do that, then he does come in and he, and he takes him and, and, and that's it. Simple as that. Nobody understood why it worked or how it worked, only that God said to do it. And so at the time they didn't realize this, I don't believe. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But that's a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do for us. That when Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist is doing his thing, water baptizing everybody. Um, and he sees his cousin Jesus coming he stops everything and he looks at him. He says, behold, the lamb of God, look, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I mean, it's a big deal. All the other lambs that have ever been offered are only temporary, but also reminding us and foreshadowing what Jesus would eventually do. The sacrifice, the only sacrifice that will take away the sin of the world. Well, he did. Um, the night before his crucifixion, before the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world was crucified, sacrificed, he has this meal with his disciples. And this is what they ate. And he's sitting at this meal and they're having the Passover meal, you know, the whole thing. They're celebrating this Passover. He's saying, you know, this is all about me, right? Now he doesn't say that exactly, but that's the idea. He says, I'm going to change the meaning of this Passover meal permanently. Um, so he took the bread that they're eating and he broke it, blessed it. And pass it around to everybody. He says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Now, he hadn't been broken yet, but he was going to the next day. He says, but you can't do that afterwards. You got to do it beforehand. So he tells them, when you eat this, remember me. Remember what I'm about to do for you. I'm the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. My broken body is for you. Likewise, he took the cup that they were drinking from. This is the cup of my blood, of my new covenant that I have with you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Not the old covenant where if you keep 10 commandments, I'll let you into heaven. If you don't, you're out of here. Now, the new, com- the new covenant is this. You didn't keep the 10 commandments. I died for all of your sins. Believe on me and you get to go to heaven. That's the short version of it. And so it says, as often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me and my new covenant. And so just like they had the lamb all the way up to the crucifixion, Jesus gave us this to remind us to look back at the crucifixion, knowing that it was complete. No more animal sacrifices can be made for the sins of the world. Um, The lamb of God has done it. 
and we understand that. And so when we eat and drink this morning, we're just acknowledging that we understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I've applied the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorposts of my heart, and death will not have its sting on me. I will not die. I go to be with him forever in heaven. And so that's the explanation. That's why we do this, and that's why we're thankful for it. Um, So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this little... um, tradition that you've given us, Lord, to remind us of this great sacrifice that you made for us, that um, on the night that you were betrayed, you you shared with them what you were going to do for them. Your love for them was going to be shown on the cross the next day. And all they were all scared and they all scattered away from you and took away and, and, and ran away. You still went through with it, knowing um, that we would eventually understand and they remember the things that you taught them. And they did. The disciples did. They remembered that this is what had to happen. And then three days later, when all hope was lost, and you were in the tomb, and they thought they had followed you for no reason for the last three and a half years, you rose from the dead, which means there was no sin in you. If there was sin in you, then death would have victory over you. But because there was no sin, because there was no fault, because there was no blemish in this lamb, you were the accepted sacrifice. And you rose from the dead. And we're, we're so looking forward to next Sunday uh, to, to, to shout for joy again as we remember that you died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Um, so th- this morning, we, we take the time to remember this. Um, it wasn't just a resurrection. There was a, there was a crucifixion. There was a, a horrible death, uh, a murder that took place. Um, the innocent died for the guilty. And we acknowledge that, that we're the ones. That when you were on that cross, you were thinking of each one of us individually. You took every one of our sins at that time, past, present, and future sins, ones we committed, are committing, and will commit, were all put on that cross at one point in that single time. We thank you for that this morning. Lord, you're, you're everything to us. You're our king. You're our savior. Um, you're our shepherd, but you're also our lamb. Um, You did it all. And uh, we just thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see. If you're visiting, we we crack our glasses, and that's kind of a weird thing we do, but we do it because it reminds us that we're broken vessels. We're sinners. We're saved by grace. He's repaired us. He's made us whole um, because he loved us. He's forgiven us for our sins. And now we, we walk around with him in us. We're filled with the Lord. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. When people meet us, they're supposed to meet him. Uh, we're supposed to be like him, ambassadors for him, his hands, his feet. And so that's why we break the glasses to, to, to remind ourselves of that also, that there's still a mission to do. Forgiven, saved, going to heaven, but there's so many people that don't know that. And it's our responsibility to be his hands and feet, to be ambassadors, to be missionaries to everybody around us. And so that's what we do. One, two, three. All right. Have a good rest of the week and uh, we'll see you Sunday.